We're back with another Skull Stories presented by 3M, the official science partner of the Minnesota Vikings. Tonight, we're catching up with former Vikings cornerback, Jimmy Hitchcock. Welcome back to Skull Stories presented by 3M. And tonight, I have the pleasure of catching up with one of my former teammates. He played in the league for eight seasons, including stints with the Patriots, Panthers, and the Vikings. His two-year run in Minnesota included the spectacular 1998 team where he recorded seven interceptions, including three pick sixes in that season alone. He's a former Tar Heel with a knack for big plays. Please enjoy my conversation with number 37, Jimmy Hitchcock. Well, it's my pleasure to bring in former New England Patriot cornerback and Minnesota Viking cornerback, one of my favorite guys, uh, one of my favorite teammates from 98, Jimmy Hitchcock. Jimmy, how are you doing? How's it going? I'm good, man. I can't complain. Life is good. I got six kids, four of them out of college. I got twin girls that's left, so I'm waiting for them to get to college and think I'm going to buy me an RV. That's <laughs> to say there, you get yourself a, you got yourself a hockey team, right? So... We're going to go back in time for you in the beginning, and there, it's a pretty amazing story. You, uh, you were born in Concord, North Carolina, went to, you know, went to high school there and ended up going to North Carolina. But this was, this was the most, you know, the, kind of the thing that everybody talked about or at least said, hey, you know this about Jimmy, was that you tore both of your ACLs in high school and you did not have them repaired. You talk about people are like, yeah, hey, do you know Jimmy? So yeah, I know Jimmy Hitchcock. Why? They're like, you know, he doesn't have any ACLs. And we're like, ah, pff, no way, no way. And sure enough, that's yeah. the case. I mean, how, how did you survive? I can't even imagine. I tore mine in 99. I don't know how you survived without him. Man, I, I don't I, I don't know what happened there, but um, I tore my left in the ninth grade. And in the 10th grade, I tore my right. Just I was cutting back on an intercession and I'm trying to run it back and cut back and, and, and blew out the left. And then uh, I was actually celebrating. A, I blocked a punt and jumped up. And to celebrate, came down and twisted my right, and and it and it was after finding out it was torn. I was like, "What? What in the world?" You know. But I really um, had a coach named Coach Sunbury who always preached to me that you need strong the strongest quads you could possibly get. So he would always tell me to squat, front squat, power clean, and, and back squat as much as you can. And that's what I did in high school. So when I left high school, I was squatting about 450. Jeez. And I went on to college. Yeah, I went on to college and I was squatting like in the 600s. So I really didn't think about my knees until the draft when um when they started when it started coming up i didn't even think about it because i ran four three three for the pros wow on my pro day so i was i wasn't even thinking about my knees until they started checking it at the combine and then i realized it was a problem now you you were drafted in in the third round by the new england patriots in 1995 having been through that process actually i went through it i think a year before you did the the way that they prod and pull and twist do you attribute uh, yep. being a third rounder because of that unique medical situation well yeah i mean it was i was projected to go in the first round and when i when i got to the combine everybody was poking and prodding and all 32 teams were twisting my knee <laughs> 
and I had swelling. I had swelling um, that night. Oh, yeah. So I got into, I tried to create a little ice bath so I could run the next day because I was just determined to run because I just felt like regardless, I still, I'm still going to run 4-4 or 4-3 because I was, I felt I was that fast. But I ran really slow, like 4-5 in my, you know, and then I attributed it to that because, you know, it was just too much poking and prodding that day, you know. Well, yeah, and you bring up a very, you know, salient point in that. When you had an injury going into the combine, and I don't know if it's, if it's still this way, but you had, like you said, if you had a concern or something, there were 32 teams that all wanted to get their hands on you and test you. And then by the end of the day, because I had a shoulder going in, you know, going into the combine, and by the next day, I, I mean, I could barely, my it was killing me because, because of right, what they put right. you through. Exactly. And I think, I don't know if that was done on purpose, because they're like, oh, if he survives all these, you know, all these physicals and, he's gonna, and he can walk tomorrow, then he's going to be okay. But it's insane. Right, right. Yeah. It, it was insane. And, and, you know, actually my, um, my roommate, at the combine was Corey Stringer. Oh my and God! Of course, you guys know who that is. Oh right? yes. So, um, so I was, you know, I was complaining to Corey, but Corey's like, "I'm out of here. I'm, <laughs> I'm not even going to try. I'm not doing anything." <laughs> you know? So Corey, Corey left, you know, and left me to the room. I had the room by myself. Oh, that's nice. But, um, but yeah, I was. It was kind of came full circle, you know, with, with Corey. But. Oh my God, that's you. I, I guarantee you had some laughs every time. I mean. Being around Corey, yeah. you just couldn't help but laugh. <laughs> yeah, he was. Yes, Corey, it was funny dude, man, funny dude. And so you were drafted in the third round by New England, and then traded to the Minnesota Vikings in '98. And so you come in right. and you get to see Corey again. What did What did you say when you saw Corey when when you came back or when you came here? You know, I was I, because you know because Corey he looked so out of shape. He was telling me he was going to be a first round pick, and I was like, what, <laughs> like. You know, what I'm <laughs> you know yeah. so he was telling me, I was like, uh, you know, ain't no way you're going to be a first round pick. And then when he got picked on the, you know, got picked by the Vikings on that day, I was like, wow. So when I went back, um, we, we talk about, you know, the fact that, you know, that they were twisting and prodding on my knees and I was complaining to him. Well, we had laughs about that. And then, you know, we ended up going to a basketball game together and we watched the big ticket at the time you okay. know what I mean so yep. it was some it was some good times you know um with you know with Corey Corey was a phenomenal dude man. now you I think one of the things that you brought or you were able to do as a corner was was play some you know some three deep some off coverage and then you were an absolute absolute ball hawk you had 16 starts yeah. in your career seven interceptions you had three pick six this is this is just 1998 now I'm not talking about your career, but one of 79 yards, a fumble recovery. What did, what did you learn at New England when you came over here to to the Vikings and you were going to go against or be with a team that was so offensively powered that teams – I remember playing we, – we, we played more nickel than, than what we had planned just because teams were always trying to come from behind. But the opportunities exactly. that you had uh, in 98. Yeah, you know, I, I was a huge um, film studier, and I'd come from – Bill Belichick was my position coach from in 96. And in 97, we, at, at the New England Patriots, Pete Carroll had uh, taken over. So so those are the two of the best defensive back coaches in the history. Yeah, you know, no question. In the history of the NFL. I, I, think, I think Pete might be number one and Belichick number two as far as teaching guys uh, the, the defensive back position. So I had that tutelage before I came to 
the Minnesota Vikings and the Vikings just needed to me just just one more piece um, because Dwayne Washington had left and which was m- me at the corner and I I could see where I could take advantage of some things because um, when I got there I watched the entire season of um, the previous year I watched the entire season to see what the corners had done. And I told Torian Gray at the time, hey, I'm going to get five picks at least this year and, and, and one touchdown at least, you know. <laughs> so I started the season out thinking that that was, that was going to happen, and I ended up with seven and three, you know. So it was just, you know, I think it was just so just the opportunistic type of uh, defensive set that they played. We played a lot of three deep, and we were able to read the quarterback a lot, and I was able to study the quarterback and – take advantage of some of their mistakes. Uh, and so you come here under an offensive coach in Denny Green, and I, I look at playing for guys like Bill Parcells and Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick. You wore pads all the time, right? You hit all the right. time. And then you come here with Denny Green, who's, you know, really raised under the West Coast Bill Walsh type system. It's a little was a little different. I remember Dixon Edwards when he came here saying, you know, going from from Dallas and Jimmy Johnson right. when, you know, they came back from a preseason game from Tokyo and they went right to the practice facility and worked on kickoff coverage in full pads because he would he wasn't happy with the you were from that type of a right. system. And then to come here in ninety eight and not be in pads a lot, you you had to have enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, thinking back on it, you know, I um my first year at the Patriots in training camp, we had three a day. And <laughs> we had multiple days of three a days. And then one day um, we had practice with three pads for three consecutive practices, three days, oh. three consecutive practices. So it was pads all day. <laughs> so, there wasn't even so a question I, of how um, you were dressed. It's just put them on. <laughs> right. Right. You just put on the pads, you know, three practices, three uh, pad practices, three straight days. It was it was just a grueling mess. And um, and but the next year paid off. We ended up going to the Super Bowl. But when I went to uh, the Minnesota Vikings, it was about speed. It was about, you know, being healthy. It was about being in practice and going as fast as you can. And I think that that and, and what Pete's system was the same way. So, so you are able to just be yourself a little bit more. You'll be, be a little bit more relaxed, you know, more relaxed atmosphere in practice, but going full speed at all times. And that's what the key was. That's the key to the success of that West Coast style is that you're full speed at all times. Stick around for more Skull Stories presented by 3M, the official science partner of the Minnesota Vikings. We'll be back with more from Jimmy Hitchcock right after this. Welcome back to tonight's edition of Skull Stories presented by 3M, the official science partner of the Minnesota Vikings. From the field to the roof and everywhere in between, 3M, the official science partner of the Minnesota Vikings, is here. Visit vikings.com slash skull science to learn more. Now let's get back into our conversation with former Vikings cornerback, Jimmy Hitchcock. Do you remember dislocating your big toe? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, I because you remember that, of course. I'll never forget it because I remember it was a yeah. it was a pass or a hitch pass right in front of our bench on the sideline. You came up and hit a guy, and then you got up and walked off the field. And I remember looking at your shoe, and I could see the 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 bulge popping out of the top of your shoe. And you yeah. went to the bench, and I remember walking over there saying, "My God, I got to see what's going on here." And- 
<laughs> your toe, it was pointed in the wrong direction. I don't, you know what I mean? It was, it was yeah. crazy because people ask, what was AstroTurf like? And I tell them that story. That's the story I tell yeah. them about your toe pointing north when you got off the field. Yeah, that was bad. But the worst injury that I had was my finger being ripped off um, in, the, in the game against the Rams. I mean, my, the top of my finger, like, uh, so you know, like where you crease at the at the very bottom of your fingernail, you have a little bone there that, that hinges, right? Yeah. So from there up, it had been ripped off. And um, and I go back to the sideline. It was, and what's his name, the trainer? That Freddie was Zamberletti. Was it? Zam- Zamberletti. Yeah, Freddie Zamberletti. So Freddie looked at me, and, and um, I'm on the sideline. I'm like, oh, my God, this, it hurts. And he was like, man, you got a finger. Get your ass back up there. <laughs> Get your butt back in that game. You it's a finger. Hitchcock, you're so soft. Like so, so I go back out there and I'm playing. But halftime is is right around the corner. I'm praying the halftime comes. So we go into the locker room and um, I said, Freddie, um, check my finger, man. I was like, I think something's wrong with it. So I take off my glove and he take off the glove. He he almost vomit. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh my goodness. So, because the finger was ripped off and they and they actually sewed it back on. At halftime, they sewed it back on. I go out and I get a pick to the, to get the offense back the ball, and we end up winning that game. And you know, off of that pick. But um, that night, I end up having I end up having surgery, which is that I had two situations with my fingers. Both of them were like that night. It was the most excruciating pain that I felt. I've had all kind of stuff done to my body but that was bad yeah, I, i'm sorry to bring that up but i just remember that toe injury and then you topped me with the you topped me with the, <laughs> with the finger getting torn off well i'll add that to the pile of stories that uh that i tell in my <laughs> you know in my <laughs> old age so you're you're now involved you started a nonprofit called village reconstruction that helps kids that have been involved with the criminal justice system uh tell us a little bit about that yeah we what we do is try to concentrate on kids with uh missing parents and kids that's uh you know maybe on the wrong path or have had um uh, run-ins with the judicial system so we what we do is we we just have kind of a boys group and we talk to them mentor them talk to them about their grades but the biggest thing that we talk talk to them about is conflict resolution okay because we want them to stay alive right resolving conflicts peacefully is the way we want to teach these kids or what we want to teach these kids to stay alive because these little conflicts that they're having is about the internet and posts on online and, and the gun gets becomes involved at times. And um, what we want these kids to do is just be kids, um, enjoy their childhood, try to stay away from the gangs and things like that. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit different. A lot more landmines these days than when we were kids, right? Absolutely, man. It's it's crazy out here right now. It's 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 kind of it's kind it's very sad that we've uh, really ignored the children as much as we have. How many kids are you able to work with, and and what is that? How many how many lives have you been able to touch in the stories uh, of people that you've been been able to get in the you know set in the right direction? We started the program three years ago. Um, we started a, a, a nonprofit called Black Community Reconstruction, but we weren't getting a lot of a lot of participation because I think people thought because it was called Black Community Reconstruction um, that it was more for Black people. But it okay. was really about the reconstruction of the community to a more of a village type of situation, like it takes a village. 
Okay. So we had to change the name. So we changed the name to a, a more inclusive name, which is Village Reconstruction. And what we do is we reach out to those people and uh, that's in the community. And a lot of our people that's in our organization are teachers. So we actually get the kids from the teachers. And as far as being able to touch these uh, lives, it's been about a year and a half that we've been doing it consistently where we we have the program for about a year and a half. And we've been able to get some kids to focus on their grades, get good, good grades, because what we do is re- reward them with things like going to the Panthers games, going camping, various trips that we put together, Hornets games, et cetera. So, so we've been able to touch a, a, a bunch of lives uh, and be able to keep up with a bunch of kids through this organization. This, uh, I think it's going to be a very positive thing in the Charlotte area. No, I, I, I'm sure it, it already has, and I can't wait to see what you have in store down the road. So, Jimmy, my, my final question, uh, and thanks again for your time. You have the team here that's starting 0-3, okay? And what advice, if you were in that locker room, what advice would you be giving your teammates as far as how to navigate uh, such a, you know, a slow start like such like this uh, to to your teammates? Yeah, I would, I would tell them uh, if I was in there, you know, I would say you have to really become obsessed with the very small details. You have to become obsessed with it. You can't overlook the very minute things that the opponent does and, and, and then the very minute things that's in your playbook. And I remember being in, um, in the championship game against the uh, Atlanta Falcons, and I went into that game with one play on my mind that I wasn't sure about, and I really didn't get a complete understanding about that play. And that play ended up with uh, Mathis going over the middle and catching the ball for a touchdown in the end zone at, from about the 10-yard line. All right. So if you as a player – you're having problems or uh, thinking about a play or understanding a play or understanding a playbook, get in there and get some understanding and pay attention to the very, very small, minute details of everything that's going on. And if you do that as a player and you pay attention to that film room and you go in the film room and get some extra time, things will turn around. And all it takes is about three or four plays in the game to swing the game to your favor. So that's what I would say is, you know, it's nobody's fault. You can't point the blame here or there because it's those five plays that either you're going to make or it's going to be made on you. I, I mean, you carry the, the wisdom of a Mac Brown, of a Bill Belichick, a Bill Parcells, a Pete Carroll. Uh, you need to write a book. <laughs> that, I was thinking about that. I'm really thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, you should. I, I really. I got, a, I got a story to tell. I got, definitely got a story to tell, for real. This weekend, the Vikings go down south and play the Carolina Panthers, and hopefully we'll all be able to, to, to catch up Saturday night. Are you looking forward to seeing everybody again or at least some of the guys again oh yeah i'm definitely looking forward to seeing everybody i appreciate you guys reaching out to me and and having me um but yeah i'm looking forward to it it's two teams that i played for two teams that's oh four i want to see who uh who rises to the top i'm not pulling for anyone on this (laughs) one my time my time at, at at minnesota was a special time you know um but going back, yeah. But going back home to, uh, to to Carolina to finish up your career that had to have been pretty special for you as well. It was good, but we went one in fifteen one of those years. <laughs> Oofta. 
So, so it was, yeah, yeah. So we, I, 15 and one to one and 15, you know. Wow. So it was, it was, it was exactly how it sounds. Yeah, I'm not, not watching enough film, I guess. Is that, is that, is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, we had. We, All right. had, we had some situations here. So. All right, Jimmy, thank you. I, yeah, I look forward to seeing you Saturday night. All right. Peter. All right, man, take care. Well, big thank you to Jimmy for joining the show tonight. You know, Jay, let's do a quick look ahead at the game on Sunday. We're heading down to Carolina where both squads are looking for a win. Two weeks in a row for us for that. Our old friend Adam Thielen has called this a playoff game, quote-unquote, yep. which in reality that's pretty much the case, and there's no doubt that we're going to get the his best game so um, the Panthers last week were, were without Bryce Young, um, meaning trusted veteran Andy Dalton filled in, and he had a solid performance against Seahawks, throwing for 361 yards and two touchdowns. And the other other people that you need to know, Miles Sanders, very good. Yep. DJ Chark Jr., yes. very good. Uh, they're very dangerous. It's you know Chark is the guy I think that um, Dalton likes to go to. When he yeah. needs the big play, you know, the 50-50 ball, and then, there it goes. And in a big, you know, spot for Andy Dalton. He's a veteran. He's been around. He's seen it all. We've played against him when he was with Dallas and, you know, gave us fits, too. So yeah, how did those turn out? Exactly. So that's the thing. Like, you know, going into this, yeah, you might be on a backup, but it's not your typical backup quarterback. So it's going to be something that they definitely have to game plan now for two guys, depending on, you know, if all of a sudden Bryce decides to go. You're just going to get probably two different, you know, games out of those kind of quarterbacks. But in the end, you know, they're both dangerous. They've got a lot of good. They have a lot of talent on that defensive front, and also I know they have a lot of injuries as well to the back end. They're 27th against the rush and 10th, 10th against the pass. We may be seeing a, a number of new bodies in that in that Carolina secondary. So I think that's where you know I think a bit of a, a bit of an opportunity is going to be there at the linebacker position as well uh, so plenty of opportunities kind of like a repeat of uh, of the Chargers with some of these types and play actions and opportunities in that respect um, but either way it's going to be it's going to be a dogfight this Sunday no question about it and I think both teams know that at this point just it's such a critical juncture you know going 0-4 is going to be something that's going to be a huge mountain to try to climb at that point so hopefully you know on our end at this point just all the small things that have been kind of biting you in the butt here for the first three weeks get ironed out. Right, and, and both for both teams, it's it. You, you go into last week. Oh, this is a must win. No one wants to be zero and three. Well, you're on three. Well, this yep. is this is a must win. You know, you, you can't just. You might play it like a playoff game, but it's still just different in the fact that week after you can't go through that must win scenario week after week after week after week. Right, you just you just got to make the two or three plays. And 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 Jimmy Hitchcock pointed it out perfectly. The devil's in the details. And it's just a play or two that changed the tide of the game. And that's it. We just have to make those plays. Thank you again for tuning into another edition of Skull Stories presented by 3M, the official science partner of the Minnesota Vikings. We'll see you all again next week.